mobile home parks are kind of more work than multifamily for the operator. You can get better returns out of the gate than say a multifamily property because they trade for higher cap rates. And the need for affordable housing is not going anywhere. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show. Today, we are here with Aaron Hurley, who is a real estate investor and a high-performance coach. Our show today is sponsored by Fortress Capital. Fortress Capital is a private equity company that I started to help physicians invest in real estate and build passive income and financial freedom. So Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. And you forgot to say I am a physician, a newly retired pediatrician. (laughs) Sorry about that. And that's why Aaron's on the show is because being a high performance coach works with a lot of mindset stuff. And since the show started, a lot of the feedback we've got has been that people have appreciated some of the seeing other doctors' journeys and some of the mindset battles of whether you're investing actively or passively. When you go into something new, there can be a lot of mental hurdles to get over. Sarah, tell us a little bit more about yourself. As I said, I'm a pediatrician. I practiced medicine for 26 years and I got into coaching because I found that I was in burnout and not feeling like I could do other income streams as a physician to replace that income. So coaching got me out of burnout. And then I realized that if I could help other women in medicine or other individuals in medicine, get out of that feeling trapped and get more empowered, then the world opens up and we just have a different perspective. And I love that you and I both share having been coached in high performance and really at different places in our lives now than when we met a few years ago. And I don't want to go back to that old version of me six years ago before I met my first coach. My life is completely different and it's opened lots of doors for me. So as you went through that process, what uh, I guess I'm trying to think how to ask this question, but just a little bit more about getting from being burned out and feeling trapped. Because I think mm-hmm. we both had felt that where it's like, I got this job that pays, I've put years into it. Mm-hmm. And letting go of that was a huge thing. And mm-hmm. sometimes even for docs who aren't burnt out and love their job, but when mm-hmm. you start looking at investing in things that are different, it can be another hurdle too. And that was kind of mine. You get used to being the expert. And now you're trying to step into something new and be a non-expert. I guess you've worked with more docs to help them get through some of those hurdles. Can you talk yeah. more about that? Well, I think that one of the things as a physician, you've talked about this in prior episodes, that we are taught to do things on our own to be independent. So not just in surgery, but also in pediatrics about, you know, doing things on our own, not asking for help. And so one of the things coaching has allowed me to do is shift my mindset, whether it was, I used to think boundaries were a weakness and now I see it as a strength. I used to think asking for help was a sign of weakness. And now I see it as a strength that helps me get further faster. And what I found with coaching is I can push people and help them flip 
mindsets and perspectives or allow them to be open to things that maybe challenge old mindsets and ways and kind of poke holes in mindsets about who says asking for help is a sign of weakness. What if you ask for help more often, how much more productive could you be than trying to do it on your own? And there's a saying that I like to quote, I think it's an African proverb. And it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And asking for help, you're asking people to go with you on your journey. I love that. And it is so true. You get so used to being in a silo. And I think sometimes we ask other docs for help with our patients. But Mm -hmm. once you leave that world, then somehow it gets hard to start trusting people and asking for help. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I have both participated in masterminds. And when I joined my first mastermind with somebody who's mentored and coached us both, Brendan Burchard, I actually didn't know what I was going to get out of coaching, but when I saw what the program did for me and it was created by Brendan Burchard, I then wanted to get closer to that expert, that individual who helped change my life. And I joined a mastermind having no idea, like, why don't we have masterminds in medicine? One person who led the mastermind, Dean Graziosi, talked about being in a mastermind allows you to skip steps, right? Like maybe you're on step number two in investing in real estate. And by connecting with Mike McManus, now you're going to jump to step 10 much faster and with much more ease and less energy and time expended because you're willing to ask for or pay for advice from an expert. That willingness to ask experts in other fields completely unrelated to medicine was a big eye-opener. And now I've participated in masterminds regularly for the last six years and learned from people outside of medicine and realized solving problems in this tiny little box in the medical world, it's very limited. And when you tap into other minds from other perspectives, other industries, it's really helped me become a much better problem solver. The other thing I liked about masterminds was that often when we're looking for help and you're trying to evaluate, do I want person A to help me? Do I want person B to help me? And in that mastermind environment, you're thrown in with a bunch of people and you may not hit it off with all the people, but you find some people that you're like, okay, I understand this person or we connect and it helps kind of sort through and again, skip steps because now those steps of finding people to connect, I've never been in a mastermind and not found that connection with somebody that leapt the process forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even can be your own cheerleaders or giving some mentorship. I know last year I was working on creating a group coaching program. I had done one-on-one, but never group. I talked about it for literally seven to eight months. And in July, I went to an in-person mastermind in two years that I'd been to, connected with people that I'd been connecting with virtually for the past couple of years in the mastermind. And within literally two weeks, two of the women that I connected with helped me get over that whatever those barriers were. And I launched my first group coaching course within two weeks of that mastermind. So super powerful. Yeah. Yeah, It's an awesome thing. Going back to the coaching. And I think this was a holdup for me for a long time is when I looked at the cost of a coach Mm. and it seemed like a lot of money. When I looked Mm. at the cost of a mastermind and it seemed like a lot of money, 
And I guess I was in a place feeling burnt out that I was like, okay, I have this job that I make great money and things are falling apart. It made sense to spend that money to try and get someplace else. But looking back, I wish I had seen years earlier the value that comes out of that. I think it was Joe Fairless, the first time I heard talk about the thing about having paid mentors, whether it's a coach or a leader of a mastermind or people in a mastermind, when you have a mentor that's a free mentor, there's always this question of, I'm borrowing their time and am I demanding too much? Feels like a one-way deal where then you get a paid mentor, um, which really what a coach is, is a paid mentor. You're paying them to talk about yourself. This is all about me now, and that's the deal. And you can, again, skip steps and jump forward rather than having to kind of muddle through. Yeah, I liken it to, I use this graph in one of my workshops. Before I worked with a coach, I would put energy, I do this course, I do that course, I'd try this thing, I'd try that thing. And so my energy was all over the place. So if you picture these squiggly arrows going in all different directions. And then when I started working with my coach, it wasn't one straight linear arrow going up, but it was much more directed. My energy was directed and focused using research-based methods to become a higher performer. And you and I, we spent a lot of money and a lot of time in our professions in medicine, we would have never been able to make the money we did as physicians had we not paid for medical school, had we not worked for minimum wage or less through our residency during those years, put off really solid income earning years without that investment. And what I see is the money that I've spent now on coaching and being coached myself, getting certified as a coach, and then also in these masterminds is my second round of education for the next iteration of what my career is going to be as a wellness and a high performance coach for individuals in medicine. And I can't get there without paying to have mentorship and leadership and information in order to be the best coach that I can be. I think a lot of that, and I got hung up, is everything I learned from a coach or in a mastermind in today's world is out there available for free. Mm-hmm. But finding it and finding it in the order that I need it and in mm-hmm. a structure that works for where I'm at is mm-hmm. very difficult. And you may not ever put it together. So that's part of it is it's not just the information, it's formatted to you mm-hmm. and where you're at at that time. Right. Well, and for the women that I coach with my niche being women in medicine, I take not only my 26-year medical career and the specialties that I worked in and my leadership positions that I held, the clinics that I started and expanded, and then six years of being coached and getting immersed in coaching and personal development, I look at it as a funnel. All of that stuff went into my brain, and now I narrow it down to what do they need for them and get rid of all the garbage that's not needed that I went through. Do we need this? Do we need that? And so it is saving them. So they're going to get where I did faster because I'm helping weed out all the frivolous stuff and making their forward momentum much more streamlined than my track was. All right. So now we're going to pivot and go back to real estate. So you're the first person on the show who has foreign investments in Mm -hmm. real estate. So let's talk a little bit about that. So tell me about your foreign investments here. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So my husband and I own a condo in Cocoa Beach, Costa Rica. And then we co-own with my sister two additional units. And then she has one unit on her own. So a total of four in our family, which is nice. So if people want to go in groups, you know, we rent them all through the same Airbnb site, do contracts together. But it allows us to then, as you said on previous podcasts, like the ability to run four isn't that much more than it is to run one. And so between our family and my sister's family, we're able to kind of scale the income that is coming in. Um, It's not four times the work to run four units as it is from one. And basically, we relied on my sister's expertise. She spent about four months down in Costa Rica during 2020 after the shutdown. And she did a ton of research. She went there for a few weeks and came home, took care of things and went right back. She just loved the little town. She loved the people. She loved the way it helped her feel like relaxed and things. And so she started looking at investment properties, met with a realtor and spent enough time there. She did a ton of research. So she bought her unit in June of 2020. And then in uh, September, I think it was August or September, she texted my husband and I were at a football game for the Oregon Ducks. And she says, hey, she bought a studio. Hey, there's a two bedroom unit available in the same building. Are you guys interested? And we had inherited some money because my parents had passed away in early 2020. And my husband and I was like, tell us more. So she had done so much research. We trusted my sister's research and she had the attorney, she had the realtor, she had the property manager, all of those things. And then we had this money that we wanted to diversify anyway. And we like, well, what the heck, let's do it. So literally four days after she sent us that text, we then put in an offer that was accepted. So that was our first unit. So that's a big step. So one day your sister calls and wants to buy foreign property. I think Mm -hmm. most of us would agree that in most situations would kind of be like, "Mm, I don't know about this. So Mm -hmm. leading up to that, what if she had called you three years earlier with the same Mm -hmm. option? Yeah. Well, part of the reason that we were in the position we were was because I lost both of my parents early in 2020. So we had some inheritance and it was basically all leveraged on the stock market. My husband and I had also talked about flipping homes back in 2016, 2017 with some savings that we had. And then I got diagnosed with breast cancer and that kind of derailed that. And then my mom's health was declining. So we had talked about investment property and it was too expensive here in the States. Well, we thought it was too expensive. So that gave us an opportunity to invest with what seemed like well-researched information for my sister in a location that was much less expensive than investing here in the US. Yeah. And I think for me, the key to that story is you started somewhere and you started mm-hmm. learning. And I think mm-hmm. there's sometimes we, I don't know enough about that, so I'm not going to do it. Or you'd start off saying, looking at flipping houses. Mm-hmm. We start with things that make sense to us. I don't think most people, unless you spend a bunch of time in Costa Rica and you know other people that want to go to Costa Rica all the time, then you might think we'll start there. But I'd never been to Costa Rica when we bought the property. (laughs) Well, you had my husband, sight unseen. Nope. It was all based on my sister's research. Rather than that as your jumping off point, though, you'd been like, we're looking for other income streams and you're thinking Mm -hmm. about real estate. And so you'd looked at flipping homes. 
and that hadn't really worked. And you'd probably looked at some short-term rentals and been like, oh, the vacation stuff here, the numbers aren't working. And so you had started down the road, never knowing that it was going to lead to investing in Costa Rica. But when the opportunity came because you had started down the road, you finally found a thing and you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, this fits that I've got enough background knowledge and an interest in moving down this road. That I would just take out of that story for anybody listening is if you're listening to this and you have any interest, you know, start with something that you find that seems most interesting to you and get started there. It doesn't mean that's where you're going to end up investing. But until you start, it's all going to seem overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And for us, it was money that, again, because it was inherited, it wasn't something that we needed. It was something kind of extra. So what if the housing market changed? The other piece I didn't share is that when my sister originally went to Costa Rica, it was a buyer's market. You could buy, but you could not sell. And then as she started looking at the property in June, the market was starting to turn. And so things were starting to heat up and move. So then she ended up buying in June. And then when ours came up in September, we put in that bid. And I think because I'd been coached, because I'd learned to communicate with my husband, we were able to make some pretty serious decisions rapidly instead of, oh, we need to go down there. Oh, we need to do this. We got out of that indecisive mode. And we were able to move pretty quickly because then within one to two months, my sister texted and said, hey, there's another unit available. And I said, hey, you want to go have these? And she's like, sure. And so then we put in a bid, got another unit, but it was $10,000 more for a less nice unit than the one that we had bought just a couple months. Because again, the market was heating up. And then in December of that same year, a different floor plan that we had both, I had decided, my sister decided, we want one of those if they come up. We got it before it even hit the market because we asked, hey, if you have any information on these, just happened to be the realtor that we were buying the unit from, um, was listing one. And so we got it before it even hit the market. And again, made it a quick decision. So got us from owning zero to owning full or part ownership within about three to four months. And we acted quickly. Now, fast forward another month or two after that, now there's no units for sale or the ones that are for sale are $50,000 more than we had paid. And they're going like crazy. You can't say, oh, let me go down and take a look. We had people who said, oh, hey, let's find, we want to hear about Costa Rica properties. But then they said, oh, I need to go see it. I need to whatever. And two weeks later, it's gone. So they missed out on their opportunity. I think another great thing you did there is the, you talked to people. So then the relationship with the broker or the agent Mm -hmm. brought you an off-market deal. And those are the best ways to buy it. Once something hits the market, often, especially if it's a place that's going up instead of going down, the prices mm-hmm. are going to go up, the bidders. Yeah. And if you can get in touch with people before it goes on the market and before they've made that effort, they've often got a price in their head and then they're more likely to just sell at that price versus if they start getting multiple bids, we all mm-hmm. do it. You're like, well, yeah. how high could this go? Let's ride this out. Um, So that was great. So there you made your first off-market deal in a foreign country. And I read the book, um, Never Split the Difference. Have you read that book? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I think I listened to it for the first time. But that book really helped 
when you're negotiating. That one book has saved me about 10 grand at least in negotiations with home remodel things and water damage things. So really great book. And then when I put in the bid, I told my sister, okay, we're going to give them this number that seems kind of wonky. It's an odd number and it's half between here and it might not make any sense, but it seemed to work with the offers that we put in on these places with getting us what we wanted at a reasonable deal. Yeah. All right. I'm going to add that to the show notes here. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Mm -hmm. And I think the key thing she's talking about there, the message out of that is, is often we get hung up on thinking we're both negotiating about the same thing and that it's a competition where most times people have different goals in mind. And if you find out where that goal is, you may find out you can get everything you want. They can get everything they want. You don't have to split the difference. So that's a great book. I think there's so much information in it that I listened to it on Audible and I've probably listened to it a half a dozen times because each mm -hmm. time I'd pick up something more out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So what differences do you find with owning a foreign property? Is there more concerns with the tax or how did you structure mm -hmm. that? Is there anything different you had to do with it being a foreign property? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is just recognizing things are different in a foreign country. For example, trying to set up a bank account. You don't just go to the bank and set up a bank account. You go, you give them your paperwork, you have to get a letter from your attorney, and then they do the paperwork. And then when it doesn't get done before your flight home, you're like, I guess I'm not setting up a bank account this trip. I'll have to try it next time. <laughs> so just recognizing, oh, I didn't know that it would take two weeks to open a bank account. And so finding work around learning from people who have been doing it. Our property manager had been living there for a while. The realtor, they were both expats from the US. So they had been there a while to help us. But just recognizing you're going to stand in line at the bank for about an hour and a half. Anytime you need to go do a deposit and they don't do things electronically <laughs> and just taking that, okay, that's just the way it is. And then getting good advice. We got connected with an attorney down there who helped us with the paperwork Then realized, oh, we need to make sure we set up a will because down there, if somebody dies, it's going to be in probate for two years. If you don't have a will set up in Costa Rica, uh -huh. it's been almost a two-year process since we first purchased, and we're still getting all those things in place based on what we didn't know at the time and what we've been learning to make this a successful venture. You know, the other great thing there is that especially when it's something new, you often can't know everything and mm -hmm. it's a process. And so you jumped into the process having been some work beforehand, but it's this ongoing learning. And now you have that at your resource for the next time you want to do something. Mm -hmm. And so I think we as doctors, you get used to being the expert and that you're supposed mm -hmm. to know everything. That you can and we have in. to learn to be beginners, as you said, getting more yeah. comfortable being a beginner at something when you've been an expert and that lack of confidence that comes from being a beginner or messing up and what are people going to think or say Absolutely. if I do it wrong? Yeah. Yes. We judge ourselves much more harshly than the people around us are judging us. Mm -hmm. It just isn't nearly the same. Yeah. I think one of the other benefits that has allowed us as a family is not only having, you know, the property there, but because it comes along with a business. So we opened up an LLC based on, again, expert advice from our accountant and tax professional is the ability to then have a business with each of the units and then being able to have write-offs 
for things that are business related. So legal write-offs for taxes, and that also involves international travel. Um, and then having demonstrating for our kids, this is what it takes to have a rental. And this is what it's like to work and flip a unit, getting it ready to rent out. And because our kids, especially when they're old enough to appreciate these types of things, Mm-hmm. they watch what we do a lot more than they listen to what we say. Mm-hmm. When they see you actually doing it versus talking about it, it has an impact. That's an amazing thing. When then they come back and ask you, recording this episode, I just dropped my daughter off at college. So I'm recording from my wife's family's house in Salt Lake City. And so it's a little bit of an improvised, there's my different background today because of that. But My daughter asked me some questions while we were here about wanting to get more involved in the real estate ventures. And these were things I'd asked her to do for a couple of years. And Mm -hmm. then one day something clicked, but through that process, she was watching more than she was listening to me. So that's a great exposure you've given them to an opportunity that I never knew anything about that when I was that age. Yeah. Well, and my parents actually owned a rental like complex, like they own really low cost rentals, low income housing. And so for me, investing in real estate and that kind of thing, that was their investment to ensure a healthy retirement. And it was fairly profitable, I think, but stressful. And my husband was always, he'd heard nightmares about rentals and things. So he was always wary of rentals because he'd heard nightmare stories. And so it took quite a while before he was okay with doing that. But then for spring break, we brought two of our kids to Costa Rica and we had to flip one of the units to get it ready. And it wasn't a vacation. (laughs) It was a lot of hard work. So then none of my kids wanted to go to Costa Rica the next time we were going. And I'm thinking like, okay, how can you not want to go to Costa Rica? But they associated Costa Rica with work because of their experience. Well, you know, there's trade-offs there. If you do it actively, there is always going to be trade-offs there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's that trade-off, do I want to add a little work to a vacation or to time off to build some financial security or financial independence? And sometimes that work as it grows becomes a freedom, like recording this show. If I wasn't doing this, normally if I was out of town, I could let everything go. I wouldn't have to worry about doing this, but on the good side, I can do it anywhere. And Mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, I can't do that. I can keep things moving forward. And it's an hour out of my day to record a show. So that's kind of cool in one way. And the other one too is, because I've heard a lot of people say that, like, I've heard nightmare stories about tenants. And that's the great thing that if you don't want to do it yourself, you can invest passively. And that's Mm -hmm. what syndications are and where the whole name Surgeon Syndicate came from. So there's opportunities there to make returns without having to do the work yourself at all. So many cool things coming out of this conversation. Yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, we got some foreign investing tips. We learned about a great book and some great mindset stuff that, you know, for me, that's always been my biggest hurdle is I check myself on what's possible And it's often been somebody else telling me or asking me or pushing me beyond that belief. And once you get in Mm -hmm. the habit of doing it, it happens faster. And I think when that property came available, you had done the work that you could recognize the opportunity and go ahead and jump on it. Mm -hmm. So great story. Well, Aaron, any final tips before we finish up this call? 
I think that just reflecting on the reminders that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Many physicians and healthcare providers think, oh, I'll have more time with my kids when, and they put off living into the future. And we don't know if tomorrow's going to be there for us. And so one of the things is, what if this is your last day? What would you want to be doing, especially as a healthcare provider who's had so much delayed gratification, who has put so much into their work and saying, how can you put more joy into today, more connection into today? And is something like investing, doing passive investing or diversifying your income streams going to allow you to have more of that? Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. And please leave us a review. The reviews we've gotten so far from the early parts of the show have really helped with focusing what we put on the show and giving you the content you like. Thank you very much. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you got value from this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional, and you can help them by sharing this content today. I'd also love to serve you better, so I wanted to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you take a moment and leave an honest written review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help you. Schedule a call and we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.